Thank you so much, Grace. If you have a Bible, please do turn to Ephesians chapter 3. We're going to be reading from verses 14 to 21 together. Ephesians chapter 3, verses 14 through to 21. For this reason, I kneel before the Father, from whom every family in heaven and on earth derives its name. I pray that out of his glorious riches, he may strengthen you with power through his spirit in your inner being so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. And I pray that you being rooted and established in love may have power together with all the Lord's holy people to grasp how wide and long and high and deep is the love of Christ. And to know this love that surpasses knowledge that you may be filled to the measure of all the fullness of God. Now to him who is able to do immeasurably more than we could ask or imagine, according to his power that is at work within us, to him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations, forever and ever. Amen. Amen. Well, we're going to explore this passage together today. Um, If you don't know me, my name is Ben. I'm the vicar here, and it's a real privilege to welcome you to church today. If you were expecting somebody else to be preaching, then a huge apologies. And for two weeks in a row, I've had to stand in relatively last minute to preach. Um, So you've got me this morning. I do apologise. Now, we are halfway through a teaching series at St. Thomas's called Multiply. And so far, we've looked at the Great Commission, that was two weeks ago, where Joel reminded us that all of us are called to participate in the Great Commission, because it is that the Great Commission, not the Great Suggestion. We're all called to play our part. And then last week, we thought thought about what's the practical outworking of that? How is it that we can share the story of Jesus, the good news of the gospel, and what Jesus has done in our own lives with those around us. And so we thought last week about sharing Jesus. Now, if we're going to do both of those things, join in the Great Commission and share the good news of Jesus, then there's one thing that we are going to need, God's power and strength to do it. We can't do these things in our own power, but we do these things in the power of the Holy Spirit. And so today, as we work through these, past, through these verses in Ephesians chapter 3, we're going to be thinking about what does it mean for us to look at multiplying power, the power of God. Now, last week, I quoted David Watson um, quite a bit from his book on the Holy Spirit in his, um, his chapter in the Holy Spirit in his book on discipleship. Today, I want to quote him from a different um, book that he wrote. And he wrote this. And as I read this, it stands as true today, I think, what he says. He wrote this 30 year, over 30 years ago now, but this stands as true today. The greatest need of today is spiritual renewal. Both individuals and Christians and whole churches need to be continuously filled with the Holy Spirit. We live in a precarious world, tottering on the edge of an appalling precipice of disaster. Quite apart from the ever-increasing threat of terrorism, massive starvation and intensified violence, relationships at every level are falling apart. Only the Spirit of God can change the heart of people and create a revolution of love in our society. The crisis of the church 
is not primarily doctrinal or moral, serious as these are, above all, we face a crisis of powerlessness. Nothing less than the power of God can save the church from spiritual death and the world from total destruction. We need more than anything spiritual renewal. We need more than anything spiritual renewal. The church in the Northeast needs more than anything spiritual renewal and the power of God. And so today we're going to look through these verses um, from Ephesians 3, 14 to 21, and we're going to see the following five things about God's power. So five points. Each one begins with, well, the first one begins with P, second O, third W, fourth E, fifth R. So we're spelling power with our points this morning. The first point is we're going to look that power comes through prayer. We know that God, we know God's power through prayer. Oh, overflowing love. That's the second point. God's power leads to overflowing love. Third point, W, we wonder at God's power. It's majestic, it's marvellous, and so we're captivated by it. E, we get to experience God's power, verses 19 through 20. And then fifthly, R, our response, simply to worship him. So we're going to look at these five things together. So let's start with the first one, P, which is for prayer. Now in Ephesians 3, verses 14 through to 17, Paul kind of sets the tone for what we're looking at today by starting with these words. For this reason, I kneel before the Father. Well, the question you might ask as you read that, for this reason, I kneel before the Father, you might be thinking, well, for what reason? For what reason is Paul kneeling before the Father? Well, earlier on in Ephesians 3, Paul has been unfolding God's incredible plan of salvation for the whole world. And he longs for the church in Ephesus to grasp the depth of this amazing plan. And he longs for us to grasp the depth of God's amazing salvation plan too. Now, Paul isn't just telling the church about God's amazing plan. He's so invested in it that he's suffering for the gospel and that's how Paul ends the previous verse before verse 14. You can look, read about that in verse 13. So Paul's desire is for the whole church to experience the power of God firsthand. And this is why he humbles himself in prayer. Now, I think that what Paul is teaching us here, what the Spirit of God is teaching us through Ephesians 3, is that there is no other way to know the power of God except through prayer. There can be no shortcuts. If you want to know God, the only way to know him and therefore the only way to know everything about him, including his power, is through, is through prayer. Now, what is it that Paul prays for? Well, he prays three essential things in verses 14 through 17. One, that the church may begin to comprehend the riches of God. Now think about this, God owns everything in the universe. He made it all, he created it all. By the breath of his mouth, he spoke and stars came into existence. Whole galaxies came into existence. He is so rich because everything in the universe comes from him. And he wants you to be able to comprehend the riches of God that are also yours in Christ Jesus. Secondly, he prays that the church may be strengthened by the Holy Spirit and thirdly, that Jesus Christ may indwell in our hearts through faith. 
Now, I could talk for hours just about those three things, but the central message is clear. If we desire to know God's riches, if we want to know the strengthening of the Holy Spirit, if we want to know Jesus living in our hearts through faith, then we must start with prayer. When I was a curate at St. Michael the Belfry in York um, a few years ago now, my previous boss, Matthew Porter, now the Bishop of Bolton, always used to say, almost on a weekly basis, he used to say, nothing of lasting significance happens without prayer. Nothing of lasting significance happens without prayer. Indeed, if you just look at the history of spiritual renewal, of Christian renewal, of revival in this nation and all over the world, before any revival started, before any spiritual awakening happened, there was somebody on a bended knee praying. If you look at, I've recently just read a book for a degree that I'm doing on a history of revivals amongst young adults, specifically university students um, in America. And at the start of every single campus awakening, spiritual renewal, there was a prayer meeting. Usually just one or two faithful people on their knees praying and it's that that started spiritual renewal. Pete Gregg, the leader of 24-7 prayer, puts it like this. The hinge of history is the bended knee. The hinge of history is the bended knee. Now that might well be true for your life as well. The hinge of your life, the hinge of all of the important things that have happened in your life might well be the bended knee. Even your knee, you praying, or somebody praying for you. Now, one thing that you might want to do about this is consider coming to Tuesday morning chapel, which is here at half past seven every Tuesday morning. Although do check the website out for half term um, breaks. But if you want to get involved in that, Will leads it, our, our worship um, director. Speak to him at the end. He'd love to talk to you about coming together to pray and worship at half past seven on a Tuesday morning. Now, we often find ourselves too preoccupied to pray. Somebody once said, I've forgotten who it was now, but often we're too busy to pray. Well, if we're too busy to pray, there is a very serious problem. R.A. Torrey, a Christian minister, said this, we are too busy to pray and so we are too busy to have power. We are too busy to pray and so we are too busy to have power. We have a great deal of activity, but we accomplish little. Many services, but few conversions, much machinery, but few results. If we want to have power, we have to pray. One of the things that I say to the staff team, and I have said to them ever, ever since we had our first service here in 2019, is we don't pray about the job here. Prayer is the job. We gather to pray at 9.15 every, um, every morning of the working week. And it has been one of the biggest gifts and the number of times we've seen breakthrough and I can only attribute it to the fact that we spent days, weeks, sometimes months praying. Now, why is it that prayer is the job? And that's not just true for people that work for church, but for everybody. Why is it that we're called to a life of prayer? Well, it's because prayer is the way we cultivate a relationship with the living God. James mentioned our equip night on Monday evening, just this last week, where Phil and, An Phil and Alison articulated this. Prayer is a conversation between lovers. 
a conversation. How do you cultivate a relationship with somebody? You get to know them. You talk to them. You listen to them. Prayer is the way we cultivate a relationship with the living, all-powerful God. Nicky Gumbel, who was vicar of Holy Trinity Brompton and pioneered the Alpha Course, put on his Instagram story just this past week, a little video. And it, it was Nicky talking about going to visit, imagine you're going to visit a doctor's surgery and you go because you, you're in need of something and you need to talk, talk to your doctor about something. And so you go and see them and you spend the whole appointment telling them what's, what's wrong with you. And then you just get up and leave without ever hearing what the doctor has to say. That would be crazy. And yet how many of us approach prayer in that way sometimes? We just see it as a list of things that we've got to say to God and we don't listen for any response. It's not a real conversation. And so we just disappear before the end of our time with him. That's how many of us approach prayer. If we seek the riches of Jesus, I think Paul teaches us here, we cultivate a relationship with him through prayer. If we yearn as we should for the strengthening presence and power of the Holy Spirit, we have to invite him to fill our lives daily, which is why we pray on a daily basis, come Holy Spirit of God. If you're longing for the assurance of Christ dwelling in your heart by faith, the answer is to pray. So the application for us this morning, just based on this first point, is that we have got to be a people that learn what it is to pray. Now, I'm not talking about us spending every single minute of every single hour of every single day in some frenetic, crazy prayer meeting, as wonderful as that may be. What I think God wants from us is a faithful life of prayer, a consistent life of prayer. Father Mike Schmitz, who's a Roman Catholic priest who runs a um, Bible in a Year podcast, he said this about prayer. Consistency beats intensity every single time. Consistency beats intensity every single time. If you want to learn a particular skill or a particular habit or a particular, you want to learn a musical instrument, it's no good having like one-off bouts of intensity at practicing the instrument. If you want to be a really good football player, it's no good just having bouts of really intense, you know, every now and then just having hours and hours on a football pitch. It'll be much better if you spend 20, 30 minutes every single day doing that thing. Consistency beats intensity every single time. There's a story from when the gospel first, first reached um, one particular part of um, Africa in, the, in one of the moves of God that happened in, in the last century or two. And somebody wrote, wrote this about what happened when, this, when, when the gospel hit this particular village. In a particular region of Africa, the earliest converts to Christianity displayed remarkable dedication to prayer. Each believer maintained their, their own scheduled spot outside the village just for prayer. And those places were dubbed prayer rooms and they were accessible via private footpaths through the surrounding bush. If grass started to grow over one of these paths, it signaled to others that the individual was neglecting their prayer life. With a shared concern for each other's spiritual well-being, a distinct tradition emerged among these new Christians. Whenever somebody observed an overgrown prayer path, they would approach that person with care and affection and lovingly reminded them, friend, there's grass on your path. 
Now, I wonder if prayer, our prayer life can be symbolised by a path. How is your prayer path? How's your prayer life right now? We cannot know the power of God except through prayer. Now, where does that prayer, where does power always lead? Well, to our second point, O, overflowing love. In this passage, Paul introduces us to this concept of God's love and he expresses it in such a profound way. Um, but it's beyond our human comprehension. Paul's prayer for the Ephesians and indeed his prayer for all believers is that they would be deeply rooted and firmly established in love. And this is not merely a sentimental kind of love, but the love that Paul is talking about is the source of spiritual power. Martin Luther King, who made a huge difference, as, as you know, in the life of many people in the United States of America through his um, work on anti-racism, said this, power without love is reckless and abusive. Love without power is sentimental and anemic. Power without love is reckless and abusive and love without power is sentimental and anemic. But here's the thing, church, the God that we worship is both love and power. His power will always lead to an experience of his love and an experience of love will always lead to an experience of his power. Now, how do we attain this true power? Well, Paul says the way that we attain it is by being firmly rooted in love, in the love of God. Now, just as a tree's root system determines its fruit, so does our root system determine our actions and our character. So if our roots are, bit, are, are rooted in bitterness or comparison, then the fruit that's going to come from our life is bitterness and comparison. If our root system is marred by hatred, then hatred is going to spill out of our lives because our root system will determine what will manifest in our lives. If we're rooted in love, then it'll be love that overflows from us. One of the things that I remember really vividly from primary school was, I think it was a year three or year two science experiment. And our teacher bought us in these, these white flowers. They were just single, single stemmed flowers with white petals. And we were asked to look after these flowers, but we put some kind of colouring. I don't know if it's food colouring or something. We put some kind of colouring in the water. And after a few days, all the petals turned the colour of the water that we'd put into, you know, the dye that we'd put into the water. What's in our root system, just like that flower in my year two science experiment, what's in our root system will colour us and transform us into whatever it is that we're feeding from. So a question for us this morning, are we is our root system, are we getting our nutrients from the love of God? The reason that we should is that it's the most remarkable, amazing love that there is. Paul goes on, doesn't he, to pray for believers, for the church in Ephesus to comprehend the vastness of God's love, a love so expansive that it surpasses human understanding. I was reading John Stott's commentary on Ephesians and um, on the bit where Paul talks about that he comprehend that we would be able to comprehend how high and wide and deep and long is the love of God. John Stott wrote this. 
it seems to me reasonable to say that the love of God in Christ is wide enough to encompass all of humanity, long enough to last for all of eternity, deep enough to reach the most damaged sinner and high enough to exalt us to heaven. That's the love of God that we have access to and believe in. But Paul says that this love isn't simply a concept to ponder. This love is supposed to fill us wholly and completely. Paul speaks about being filled with the measure of all the fullness of God. Now that I think is an absolutely staggering notion that we would be filled, that you can be filled to the measure with all of the fullness of God. That's a totally staggering and mind-blowing concept that we can be saturated with God's presence and love, that it overflows from every single aspect of our being. Indeed, it's, we're supposed to be filled to the measure of the fullness of God so that it can overflow from us to those around us. Karl Barth, who was one of the most distinguished theologians of the last century, was once asked, if you could sum up theology in one sentence, what would it be? And his answer was this, Jesus loves me, this I know, for the Bible tells me so. Jesus loves me, this I know, for the Bible tells me so. And I think that, in essence, encapsulates Paul's prayer, that we might know Jesus' love for us He's told us about it, that we might know it, but also so we can share it. And that leads us on to the third point, W, we're to wonder at God's power. It's supposed to captivate us. It's supposed to arrest us and be completely life transforming. Look at what Paul says in these verses, to know that this love surpasses knowledge. Now church, I love theology. I love it so much that I'm doing yet another degree in it. I think this will be my third and fourth, something like that. Um, I love theology. There's been whole libraries of books written on the love and power of God. But look at what Paul says here. We can know this love, but it does surpass knowledge and understanding. God's love and power is not just a thing to be written about. It's something to be wondered at, to be in awe at. It surpasses understanding. Now, if you were to ask me why I love Ellie, my wife, if, just in case you were wondering who Ellie was, I could give you a really good explanation, I think. I could tell you that she's amazing at this and she's beautiful and she's really kind and she's funny. And I could, I could talk about why I love Ellie for a very long time. But I could never really fully explain it in a way that you could fully comprehend. There's something about my love for her that is just, in, not that it's incomprehensible because, I mean, she's amazing, but I just can't tell you in full detail all the reasons that I love her. I just wouldn't be able to get to the bottom of it. Now, if that's true for Ellie, how much more is that true for the way that God loves us and the way that we should love God in return? The only way that we can know God's love as well as reading about it and thinking about it is for us to experience it. And that's the fourth point, E. We get to experience God's power. God's power is not just to be wondered at, but it's to be experienced. Now back to my reading of David Watson. 
in his chapter on the Holy Spirit in his book on discipleship, he said this, lack of physical hunger is usually a sign of sickness. Similarly, if we are not hungry for God, something is wrong with our spiritual health and we need God to break that hard shell of complacency within our hearts. If we're not hungry for God, there's something wrong with us. Now look at the words that Paul uses here in these verses. He prays that the church may be strengthened, filled, that we may grasp the love of God, that we can know this love which surpasses understanding. Now those are all active words, aren't they? Strengthened, filled, grasp, to know. God is not just an academic idea that philosophers equivocate about. He's not just some construct that's stuck in the ivory tower of academia. He's a person to be known, to be loved, to be experienced. Imagine a relationship that you have with a really good friend. You don't just know about him or her because of stuff that they may have written about themselves. And presumably you know him or her because you actually spend time with them and you've experienced them and you know them. If you weren't to do that, it would be no relationship at all. We are to be hungry for relationship with God, to experience him. Now, the wonderful truth about the God that we worship is that he's written us the most amazing love letter. It's called the Bible. And in the Bible, he talks about himself and he tells us how amazing he is and he tells us all kinds of amazing things. But he also tells us about us, he tells us about how amazing we are, that we're fearfully and wonderfully made, that he loved us so much that he sent his son to die for us. He's written about his love for us, but he's written it in a way so that we can experience him, that we can get to know him. And one of the primary ways we do that is through scripture reading and through prayer. I've already talked about prayer. What he wants us to know, what Paul wants us to know about God's power and love is that it's at work in us, Look at verse 20. Now, again, we were thinking last week, weren't we, that we can't give away what we do not have. And the same is true here. We're to be conduits for the power of God. But how can we give the power of God away unless it's flowing through us? We're to be conduits for the power of God. Now, if we're to know his power, we're invited to experience it for what it is. When I was training to be a vicar, I did the practical bit of my training in Newport Beach, California. It was a, it was a hard life. Um, went to this beautiful church right on the harbour. Um, we were really suffering for the gospel back then. Um, at, the end of my, at the end of my placement, um, we went on a little trip to the Grand Canyon. And I had seen the Grand Canyon many, many times on documentaries. I'd seen it in books. I'd seen photos of it, all of that kind of thing. And I can remember Ellie and I stayed in this little town where you get a steam train from this, from this town and you get, the, you get this steam train ride to the rim of the Grand Canyon. And I can remember we were on this, on this train and you just, you're going through the countryside or whatever. And at one moment, there was an audible gasp in the carriage when for the first time you got a glimpse of the Grand Canyon out of the window. And all of the murmur, all of the chatter on the carriage stopped as the Grand Canyon came into view. 
And do you know what? Seeing it in real life was so much better than seeing it on documentaries and in the telly or reading about it or seeing a photo of it. I mean, sure, it's impressive then, but actually experiencing it was... I never gasped when I saw the Grand Canyon on the television screen, but I did when I saw it in reality. God wants you to know his power, not just for you to read about it. He wants you to know his love, not just for you to think about it in some kind of academic way. Now, sure, we know about all of these things through his written word. We know about all of these things because we know the doctrine of God to be true, but he is also to be known and loved and experienced. Now, Paul's own experience of the power of God was this, that God in his power could do more than we could ever ask or imagine. Now, church, that is still true today. God can still do more than we could ever ask or imagine. That was Paul's experience of God's power. It should be our experience of God's power as well. Now we've got a big vision here at St. Thomas's to play our little part in seeing the region transformed. Now the only way that that's going to happen is through the power of God. And when we talk about it, we don't just talk about it as some wistful thing that you know, we think might be able to happen if we work hard enough or if we pray enough or any of those kinds of things. No, it's not about us. We believe that God can transform a region because he can do more than we could ever ask or imagine. That's his promise. Now, what should our response be to all of this? Well, our response should be to worship. Look at verse 21. Paul ends this little passage of scripture by saying to him be glory in the church now and forever. Not to us be glory, not to the vicar be glory, not to your life group leader be glory in the church, but to him, to God be glory in the church. It all belongs to him. The only glory that we get to get is the glory that God lavishes on us through his son, Jesus. We give him thanks for his power. We give him thanks that he's invited us into relationship with him. We give him thanks that we have an overflowing experience of his love. To him be glory in the church now and forever. What can we do but worship him? He deserves it all. And so what we're going to do now is respond by worshipping, we're going to sing together um, after we've taken communion, which is the height, of our, the height of our worship and experiencing his love for us. And so as we do this, I'm going to invite us to stand and our response is going to be to, for us to pray, come Holy Spirit, that we may know the power and presence of God today. That there's a power that can do in us and through us more than we could ever ask or imagine. And so we're just going to spend some time waiting on the Lord and praying for his power in his presence to come.